Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and welcome. Delighted to have you aboard Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with our co-host Carol Zerniel. So Carol, it's great to see you and we have a guest who we had on when this show first began. I I was thinking that Dr. Kleinman came on and he was probably one of our first five guests and I suspect this has been about seven years ago, something in that. I can't remember when exactly we started, but it's been about that long. Well, it was a powerful story Dr. Arthur Kleinman told us then and we're going to pick up now with his new book, The Soul of Care, Dr. Kleinman. Uh, serves on the Harvard University Medical School faculty. He's a RAD professor at the Department of Anthropology at Harvard University Faculty of Arts and Sciences and also is a psychiatrist and a medical anthropologist. Obviously, he is an overachiever. Dr. Kleiman, thanks for coming on. How are you? Well, Ron and Carol, thank you again for having me. I'm doing good. Well, as I mentioned to you before we came on air, uh, we remember vividly uh, talking with you and interviewing you. In fact, over the last several years, we have mentioned you on many an occasion because the situation you found yourself in was just so overpowering. And rather than me tell your story, I'll let you tell your story. But when we last met, you were the caregiver for your wife who was uh, on a downward spiral with early onset Alzheimer's. Right, right. Uh well, basically, I mean, what the book, The Soul of Care, and what that experience has been about is that a veil of ignorance was sort of lifted from my eyes. Uh, after all, I had been a uh, lifetime researcher of, uh, on medicine and caregiving and had myself practiced as a uh, psychiatrist in many patients uh, over many years. And yet I felt that being a family carer brought something uh, to light that I just hadn't uh, emphasized enough, and that was um, the extraordinary role that family carers play, not just in the life of a, of a sick person, but in the way that person connects to the uh, community of professional caregivers, the hospitals, clinics, and so forth. And for me, that was, as you just pointed out, a, a downhill experience. My wife developed early onset Alzheimer's at 58 year, years of age. She was a beautiful, incredibly intelligent, remarkable woman, uh, extraordinarily active and, and independent, and a, both a scholar and, a, and an artisan of life. She was a great person at crafting life for myself and my, my, my children and our grandchildren. And then this um, uh, Alzheimer's hit, and um, uh, not only did it um, uh, destroy her cognitive um, uh, skills and, and remove her memory, but um, because it started in the back of her brain, it also made her blind. It was in the occipital lobes of the brain where, where vision is interpreted. So here she was, uh, blind and terribly impaired cognitively and going progressively downhill to what would be an early death at, uh, at uh, 70 years of age in, in 2011. And I just felt beside myself, just just uh, broken by the experience, and and um, uh, unable to 
really understand how one endures an experience like this, um, but just kept working at it. And what I learned over time is that um, uh, really no one can tell you how to endure an experience like this. That if you're a family carer, um, you are going to learn how to endure great difficulty. And that all the images we have are rosy, false, and um, triumphal, which caregiving is not. Um, and perhaps for children who get better uh, from minor illnesses and go on to just great lives, maybe caregiving is like that. But for people taking care of uh, adults with chronic illness, um, end-stage conditions like uh, terminal cancer, terminal heart disease, and dementia, this is really what caregiving is not about. It's not about resilience. It's about having such a commitment and such an involvement that in spite of being broken, in spite of feeling hopeless at times, in spite of uh, just a sense of failing, you keep going. It's as if there's a wall there, and that person who you love, you're spending your time with, is giving you the sense that you can get over that wall, even though you doubt you can. And the first few times you try climbing that wall, you fall down. And eventually you make it over, but you just barely make it over. And you're not sure you can do the second wall. And so that's what I experienced in caregiving and what uh, I think many people experience in caregiving. And I think the real issue in this is not why do people not do it to begin with, or why did they burn out? But really, how do they endure? How is it that we all endure? I, I want to find out. I want to find out from you how you endured and what it was like writing this book. Carol wants to jump in as well, but I want to tell folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Dr. Arthur Kleinman. He is a well-known scholar known worldwide for his work at Harvard University, medical anthropologist and a psychiatrist. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, I just wanted to add, you know, I, I, I am interested, you know, you, you talked about endurance, and, and, and you hear it. We often use the word, you know, marathon. Um, it's just a long, long journey, probably long, longer than anybody wants. Um, but you have described so um, eloquently this, you know, the, this, this pain um, as well as these moments of, um, you know, because you, you can feel the, the, that this is something that is honorable um, and caregiving does touch your soul. But at the same time, the day-to-day in and out of all these activities and the medical appointments and the loss of functioning is absolutely heartbreaking and overwhelming. Um, and so, you know, and it doesn't, it's not any easier for someone who's in the business, who's in the medical field, who's um, a gerontologist like me. My mother died of Alzheimer's and, and it, that doesn't make it any easier for us. So I really identified with your description and I'm sure there are a lot of caregivers out there shaking their heads. So I think there are about four or five things that help us endure. One is the quality of the relationship. So if the quality of the relationship to begin with is a strong one, and my wife and I had a wonderful relationship, a love story over five decades, it's going to keep you on track. You're going to do it because it's there to do, and it was part of the marriage vows, and it was part of the commitment. You just do it. And the second thing is, is presence, that 
that uh, that person you're caring for, um, they bring their presence to the extent that they can, and he, and it pulls from you. It brings out out of you your presence, that liveliness, that fullness of, of being. The third thing is ritual. Uh, day by day, as you do things, as you help bathe, feed, ambulate, take care of someone, it becomes a kind of a ritual, <laughs> as it were, a sort of ritualized habit. And that begins to give you a little momentum. It, it, it builds in the inertia that keeps you going. And I think the last thing is the caring for memories. Even while you are caring for someone, you're building those memories that are the story of our lives and that will keep you going afterward. And you recognize that even when this person I love dies, I'm going to keep caring for those memories. That's going to be my responsibility. And I think that also is what uh, keeps you going as you frame stories for yourself about um, what you're doing. I was touched by the prologue that you write about your wife uh, one day totally not recognizing you and how similar that is. My next-door neighbor, Jimmy, uh, he's in his uh, early 80s. His wife is in a memory unit, and he told almost the exact same story that you wrote about going to her uh, unit one day, and she had put her dresser in front of the door, and the staff was having trouble getting in, and he said, well, this is no problem. I'm her husband, and I can help. And she didn't recognize him and started screaming at him as your wife, Joan, did with you. Uh, and although he was somewhat prepared for that, uh, as he told me the story, uh, you could see it was so disconcerting to him. What were you feeling when that happened? Yeah, I think that was one of the lowest points. It's, it's a phenomenon called Capgrass syndrome. It's found in many neurodegenerative diseases. And it leads a person to believe that the, to suspect that the people she knows the best, her, her um, spouse or, or adult children, are fakes, are imposters. And even the, the, the home is, in, is not, or, the, or if she's in an inpatient unit, uh, the unit is not real. It's, it's false. And you imagine what a terrifying experience that is. And that's exactly um, uh, what um, she experienced. She woke up one day. It would happen uh, two or three times, in, uh, once in a hotel and two times in, uh, in our family home. And she, there was a man sleeping next to her. She believed this man was an imposter, not a real husband. She started screaming and yelling for the man to get out. That man was me, who was really her husband. And you try to think of yourself, how do you handle this? I tried to convince her um, both times that um, I was uh, her, really her husband. But just as in the case you cited, um, uh, her delusion was so powerful that she uh, wouldn't accept that. And uh, you just have to sort of go with the flow and wait until it burns out, which it generally does in a matter of hours or maybe at worst a day. And then afterward, you know, she had forgotten about it. it she didn't even believe it happened when I explained it to her. So here you also see the paradox of the fact that there's something terrible happening to a loved one with dementia. But actually, if you look at the person who's suffering the most at that moment, it's equal between the person with dementia and the caregiver. The family caregiver is just terrified and mortified and broken by that experience of um, 
being thought not to be the real person. All right, now hold that Just thought. Me. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. And, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, did it help as a psychiatrist? You even knew this thing had a name. We're going to talk about that in just a minute right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host Carol Zerniel and a powerful story, an incredible book, The Soul of Care by Dr. Arthur Kleinman. We are excited to bring you the all-new WellMed Radio. Our goal is to help make listeners healthier by focusing on health and wellness for adults everywhere. The new WellMed Radio features Dr. Joshua Beck, an outstanding family physician and attorney and veteran broadcaster, Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. Each week, we will focus on health prevention and wellness that's critical to the quality of life. WellMed Radio, Saturday mornings at 7, Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, we got the Kleenex out as we listen to this incredible story talking with Dr. Arthur Kleinman. We spoke to him several years ago on Caregiver SOS On Air. The program had just begun. He had not written the book yet, but shared with us then what he was going through as a carer for his wife, Joan, who was struggling with early-onset dementia. She ultimately passes away at age 70, much sooner than anyone would have wanted. And Dr. Kleinman is with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And Dr. Kleinman, uh, you're telling us a story about how she didn't recognize you. And, uh, you know, I never knew the name of that until I read the prologue that Casper's is a real thing. You're an educated psychiatrist. You know the names of these things. Did it help you at that time? Did you say, oh, this is Casper's. We're good. Yeah, no, Capgrass. Or Capgrass. It didn't help me. It didn't help me at all to know that it was Capgrass syndrome. I was was defeated by being unable to to stop it. In the same way that... um, uh, being aware of, uh, of Alzheimer's and knowing the research literature, knowing about the treatments, didn't help me at all in taking care of uh, of my wife. I mean, the the honest thing is, be really honest about dementia, and particularly in Alzheimer's disease, is that we do not know the cause of Alzheimer's. We don't really have the treatments. They're just a few, and they do very they do very little, and we're even uncertain about the syndromes. It may turn out that Alzheimer's is multiple syndromes with multiple causes. So in a setting of uncertainty like that, that is really what all people share, both the professional, even a professional carer who uh, has a family member uh, with that problem and people who have no medical or health background whatsoever share that uncertainty and that, that inability to sort of um, come to a closure about what this thing is and how you're going to handle it. So that at every stage, you have the sense of danger and uncertainty. Problems loom large. person goes from minor cognitive impairment to severe cognitive impairment, in the ap- losing one's memory, losing one's ability to make sense of the world. Personality changes. People who've been like Joan was um, calm and... Uh, effective and um, affable turn in uh, new directions, and she, she became uh, angry and frustrated and difficult to engage, just as you would expect someone would who no longer could make sense of the world uh, around her. And how the family carer then deals with that, I think, is, is about you know, what we talked about before, 
just trying to endure, trying to get through the day, trying to do the best that one can, and picking yourself up off the floor when you feel like you just weren't effective, and keep going. And the thing that impressed me the most about this, I heard once from a, a family carer by the name of E.S. Goldman, who was a writer for um, uh, The New Yorker, who wrote a book about taking care of his wife with Alzheimer's called The Caregiver. And in that book, uh, after the book was published, and I happened to write the foreword to the book, Goldman was, in, was interviewed by a, uh, or rather presented the book at a, um, at a bookstore in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And a young woman said to him, he was like 93 at the time, and she said to him, well, why'd you do it? Why'd you go through all this trouble? And he looked at her in surprise, and he said, you do it because it's fair to do, because that's the, that's the marriage vows. That was the commitment. She would have done it for me. It was there to do. I've spoken to hundreds of patients and family members with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias and other chronic illnesses, and that's often what family carers say. It was there to do. I did it. You didn't think about it. It wasn't, as philosophers and ethicists argue, a matter of choice. It was like rubbing a sore shoulder. You did it because it was there to do. It's got to get done, and you, you do it. And I think that one of the things you learn, especially as a man, being a family care, caregiver, is to appreciate how much women, how much women do. You know, Ronna Carroll, this made me a feminist. Uh, and I didn't start from that position at all. I, I recognize now that how, how boys are raised to be somewhat careless, girls to be careful, how women have in the course of the centuries played the central role in family caregiving. But now with all the opportunities open to them, and as they participate in a big way in the workforce, men have failed to step in and do what's needed in family caring unless they're faced with situations like the one that I was faced with. And that this speaks to the enormous uncompensated uh, accomplishments that women have made over the centuries. Family caregiving, I've come to believe, is the glue that holds society together. Wow. Very powerful words. You're not going to get any arguments here. I mean, that's... that's um. That's quite a statement. Uh, and the, the number of men, you know, I think that the other side is, is for those of us that work in this field, is recognizing the number of men who are also becoming caregivers and making sure that, you know, our language, um, you know, is relevant, our activities are relevant, um, because people do approach caregiving from different perspectives. Men, you know, do not handle caregiving the same way that women do. Uh, and and I think you, you write in the book, and I know you've spoken about it, the issue of getting, of getting help and the offer of help. I'm curious, if looking back, you, you talk about the difficulty of, of identifying, you know, that there is home health or there's Meals on Wheels or whatever the care is that can be brought into the home. And it's difficult to get all that off the ground and to find out about it. You know, looking forward, what, how would you advise the medical profession uh, and those of us that kind of work in both of those worlds, in the community world of Alzheimer's, but also in healthcare, what do you think we need to do differently since we don't know what causes 
Alzheimer's. We don't have a cure. Um, but we do have some very helpful practices to make that endurance a little easier. Yeah, I think that's the, you've asked the central question. That's the existential uh, question. And I think right now, it's, I think we've got to be honest. And I say this as a physician myself and just that physicians, especially specialists um, like ne- neurologists, do a, um, a, a relatively poor job of this because, by and large, they're not trained to deal with uh, care. They're trained to deal with the disease part of this. And as soon as they've made the diagnosis and they've run through the few meds and shown that they're not doing much, they kind of don't know what to do or what to say. And I think that's a failure in their education, in their training. But it's the, it's the neurologist who makes the diagnosis who should say to you, you know, uh, you've got to prepare yourself for what's ahead. Let me give you a list of a few things you should do. Now, first, you ought to um, help with your primary care doctor to create a kind of team around you so you have access to a social worker, so you find out how you can get a home health aid to help you when it's important so that you know how to go for referrals when they're needed. Secondly, you want to, you know, especially those of you who have uh, wives as, as, as I did, or, or spouses rather, more generally, who have atypical Alzheimer's, which starts in the occipital lobes, and leads to blindness as well as cognitive impairment, you're going to have to reconfigure your homes so that a person can get around who can't see and can't think their way through things is going to be able to get around and not hurt themselves. All those things that seem kind of simple, if you begin to think about them early in the course of the disease, you're in much better shape to find the right people to help you and make the right choices. And I felt that in my case, where I had been at Harvard for decades, and my colleagues in neurology wanted to do everything they could to help me, they really went out of their way to make the diagnosis very early. But once they made it, and once the few meds were used that had any effect whatsoever, and they were very limited, they had no nothing to say to me. Uh, it was as if they were totally unaware of what family caregivers have to face. And so I'd say the first thing is education of the specialists about uh, the importance of family care and how to work with families. And uh, there's a really nice uh, publication today by the National Academy of Medicine called Families Caring for an Aging America that tries to set out what the problems are with um, family care and its poor relationship to professionals and how it can be improved. And yet here's the classic example. The classic example today doesn't come from Alzheimer's, it comes from surgery that uh, most uh, elderly people getting surgery, when they come out of the surgery, they're only in the hospital for a few days because of the idea to control costs. And when they get home, no one has explained to the uh, family that the person's going to come out of the hospital with drains, with tubes coming out of their body that are draining off uh, fluid, etc. No one's explained to them anything about this. So families are scared stiff when they see someone, let's say, who's just had gallbladder, surgery comes with two drains from the abdomen that are leaking a fluid. No one's explained to them how they take care of these drains, how they prevent them from getting infected, how they can bathe their their family member with them. 
you know, that's a level of, um, of, of failure to engage with family carers that's totally unacceptable. Well, I hate and to I interrupt. We got time for one quick question from Carol, but we are really flat out of time. Did you want to jump in? Well, no, no I, I'm going to let you, you know, wrap up that thought about exactly, you know, if if a caregiver doesn't isn't isn't able to help do that kind of care or doesn't want to do that kind of care, then you're really in a in a bad situation from the medical standpoint. Absolutely. So now, you know, move it over into the aging and Alzheimer's domain, and you can see that working together with family caregivers is crucial for Alzheimer's care or care for dementia. And what we need for dementia care, I think, today is very well set out in the cancer field. Exactly. Which is cancer care teams. We need dementia care teams. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the neurologist who speaks to the family member. Could be the social worker. Could be the nurse. Could be uh, the geriatrician. But it's got to be someone, and it's got to be integrated into a care package in which the family member and uh, uh, and the person with dementia is not just thrown out as if they were tossed into the sea without a boat or uh, or a life jacket. Our time has run out. Dr. Kleiman, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.